0: Welcome to another edition of Slasher. I hardly know her. This is a jump scare edition. I'm your host, Alex. If you're unfamiliar with what a jump scare is, it's a little shorter, although this one, not a lot shorter, but a little shorter than our normal episode and definitely a different format. In these jump scares, we are just trying to showcase another aspect of horror or we're not reviewing a movie is what I'm trying to say in our first one this is only our second in our first one we interviewed a great filmmaker from Coleman Films who's responsible for the Halloween Inferno uh, trilogy which is a fan film uh, man a, a remarkable fan film if you haven't watched it please go out there and give it a watch it's short it's about 45 minutes you can find it on YouTube And uh, a great watch ahead of Halloween Kills coming out here in the next few weeks. This week we are uh, showcasing another filmmaker, another indie horror maker named Ricky Glore. Very busy man. Um, He's a stand-up, a working stand-up comedian. You have probably heard him. I mean, he's been everywhere. You can hear him on XM Radio. He's been on the Bob and Tom Show. Really funny guy and a really nice guy. And as you'll hear in this interview a complete horror movie geek. We're going to talk about uh, some of his shorts and then also his upcoming feature film, All Your Friends Are Dead. It's a very cool concept. I won't go into it here because we'll just let Ricky discuss that here in a bit. But a really nice guy. How often do you get to have a conversation with somebody who's genuinely funny? genuinely nice and then also a horror geek just like you i could have talked to this guy all day we tried to keep it short for the podcast i mean he's a very busy guy but uh yeah i could have talked to this guy all day long and had a blast i hope you enjoy the conversation as well and then uh at the end of the podcast i'll I'll give some of the uh, I'll, I'll give you the info on how you can find him i will drop those also in the show description so that you can help support indie horror uh which you know you just can't do enough uh, he's over on kickstarter right now and kind of a a brilliant move in my opinion uh, by this creative team they're not kickstarting to get their project started they're not they're not doing this so they can start principal photography. They have already filmed most of this movie. There's just some little finishes to do. And so they're kickstarting now so that they can finish this movie in the best way possible. More money they get, the better they can make it look, the more options that'll be out there, I guess, for release. But a really smart idea. you You feel confident in supporting this project because so much of it's done. Uh, but it looks like it's got a great special effects team. It looks like it has some great acting in it. Ricky Glor is the co-writer, co-director, and he also stars in it. But it uh, uh, looks like a very promising movie. Very happy to support this. Uh, I'll just go ahead and get to the interview. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with uh, Ricky Glor as much as I enjoyed having it. So please stick around to the last of the episode or the end of the episode. And I'll tell you where you can find him and how you can support this. you up and you're a comedian and then i also see you are writing and directing horror how does all that work together
1: um it just comes from my upbringing of just being exposed to a lot of different kinds of horror and comedy generationally from my dad passed down to me on what he grew up watching and liking and so i was shown horror at way too young of an age uh but it was kind of a transitional thing of like watching Hope and Crosby road pictures, Martin and Lewis movies, and then like Abbott and Costello. And then naturally Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which the universal monsters in that movie, uh, Glenn Strange playing Frankenstein, Bela Lugosi, Dracula, Lon Chaney Jr. as the Wolfman. There, there might be comedy in the movie, but they are legit the same Universal Monsters that they are in their own horror films. The horror is real in that movie. And I think after watching that, my dad was like, oh, okay, well, let's go and watch the Universal Monster movies. And we watched all of them. House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, all the House movies. <laughs> house Party 1, House Party 2. Um, but no, I just think horror and comedy was introduced to me then, Uh, a lot of the Hope and Crosby movies and Martin Lewis would put them in situations that were terrifying or horrific. And so I think at that early of an age, I saw the blend of horror and comedy. And then he also showed me one of his favorite TV shows of all time, which is The Addams Family, um, which is a great mix of the macabre and comedy. And I just think as I grew up, I really liked both of those genres and especially mixing them because they both elicit a a visceral reaction, whether it's a scream, uh, a gasp or a laugh.
0: You know, it's interesting that you were talking about comedy and horror here. Uh, We've Mike and I recently watched Club Dread and then Mm -hmm. immediately followed that uh, with Hatchet, you know, very different movies. Both, in my opinion, uh, certainly, and, and I think Mike agrees with me, they're as good a comedies as they are horror films. I mean, Club Dread is a solid slasher movie. Uh, you look at Hatchet, and it's got it's got that gore factor, and it's got it's such a nod to those '80s slashers. And then you have really funny moments, genuine funny moments in each. And I don't think either
1: genre detracts from the other. Yeah, I think both genres are predicated at their base level of making sure that the audience has a good time. And that's that's why I do stand up. Stand up's not my favorite creative art form because I like the ensemble nature of creating and kind of like building a house with a bunch of people, um, and stand up you're by yourself. But the the idea that the base level horror can be, you know, you get a little bit of story and maybe there's some subtext that you maybe aren't fully aware of while you're watching it. But that's the reason why some of those older horror movies stand the test of time, because they are saying something a little deeper, but that doesn't detract away from your enjoyment value of it. I think weirdly enough, horror stands the test of time more than most comedies. Most comedies are time capsule movies and kind of don't age well and they don't evolve with the time or even, Evolved with the sensibility of you as a person. Um, I guess the same could be said for horror, but in my experience, it's a little it's, it's a little different. Like horror movies that I grew up watching, I can go back and be like, "Oh, I might understand more things about them to make them better." The comedies, a lot of comedies are prevalent for that like finite time when you see them when you're a certain age.
0: I think that I mean that's a good point. Uh often what scares us when we're young scares us when we're old, uh or at least older. And sometimes and what you think is funny does change. Your taste in comedy often changes. Not that your taste in horror doesn't, but the base there, what's scaring you is, is is something that'll often follow you through life. What you think is funny, you know, it it changes uh based on I guess your sensibility, but that that is a good point. So uh, you sent the, the press materials along for the movie that you're working on right now, and I want to get to that. But in it, you included a couple of shorts that you've done very recently, some horror shorts. Do you want to talk about those a little bit?
1: Yeah, they're both currently on the festival circuit right now. One I filmed last year, which was more or less a proof of concept, kind of an opening scene to a much longer feature film script that I was hoping to make. But we filmed that uh, the week before the world shut down, the pandemic. Wow. Uh, ironically enough, the plague masks were chosen and done uh, to fit the narrative of the much longer feature film script and had nothing to do with the coronavirus. It just had ended up being a weird coincidence. Um, but that, like I said, is part of a, a much bigger project that involves a very large cast and is in the sense of kind of those 70s Dario Argento, Mario Baba uh, giallos. And that one, there's a little less of a narrative structure because it is kind of that hook opening scene that was going to be used, like I said, as a proof of concept to get a budget. So it's kind of open-ended and just drops you in, doesn't give you much explanation. But, uh, what did you think of it? I liked it. We're talking about Ka. Uh, yeah.
0: it is, uh, It's. I'll tell you, right off the bat, you talk about that opening scene. It gives you this lonely. I don't know how better to describe it. It gives you this lonely, empty feeling within. You know, the first three or four seconds, just this. It's this wide shot in the woods. Uh, Looks like winter. I mean, there's not much on the trees. And it reminded me of watching horror as a kid, because those are the things that would stand out to me. I, like you, was watching horror way too early <laughs> in my life. Uh, but I remember, I, you know, walking away from those feelings. And uh, one movie in particular, and you're going to laugh at me, uh, was uh, The Legend of Boggy Creek. And it is... Uh, no, no, I yeah. wouldn't laugh
1: at you. I mean, that, some of that stuff, I mean, there's uh, many a B movie or even D-movie that I would first see on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah. And I would be like, oh, this is great. I can't wait to see this. Because I knew, I knew how the sausage was made with Mystery Science, even when I was a kid. Right. That they cut it up. They cut a lot of gore. They cut the nudity, if there was any. Because they had to fit that hour uh, time frame. And so that would open me up. If my dad wasn't already showing them to me, like my dad... Hates that they did Mitchell with Don Baker, cause oh, yeah. He actually likes the movie Mitchell. But yeah, I mean, I would never laugh at you at that.
0: <laughs> well, it's just you know that movie. Well, as you know, looking at it now, uh, which I have I have watched it, you know, in fairly recent years, it's, it's like, well, this you know this is not a very scary movie. This is you know it, it's certainly a product of its time. It's about a Bigfoot in Arkansas, uh, <laughs> but it you know watching it as a kid, you know, while I'm I'm, you know, cutting my teeth on movies like Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth. I then watch this one, and this is the one that I have to shut off, because it gives me this eerie, empty, like lonely, desolate feeling. It, they've painted this picture uh, in these night scenes that, you know, unnerved me as a child, and that is what I felt within seconds of watching Caw. Just that opening shot that. You know, that girl just in the middle of the woods, and you felt that. And so without, like you said, without a lot of narrative, without, you know, any exposition, I'm already understanding that, you know, she's there alone, she is desperate. And and I think that that's a difficult thing to do as a filmmaker, especially without exposition. I mean, how many movies do you watch that just go on and on to explain to you what's happening without giving you the opportunity to come up with that, I guess, on your own and in your own mind. And I think, I mean, you certainly did that. Is there a word spoken in Ka? Uh,
1: not, no, not not the short. Actually, uh, Master Furley, the uh, uh, Braden Firebrand, who did the score, did the Foley. There was no audio recorded on set. So even the lead actress, uh, Stefanica, she that what you hear coming from her is not coming from her? That wow. was all done uh fully,
0: Wow. Why did you decide why did you make that decision during filming?
1: we I was getting a lot of we with my first two shorts, that and racist uh like I said, call was before the pandemic and but even with that, we were shooting my uh d p trans Madison was shooting on a red camera. We're using a lot of great equipment. Uh, had a great crew, great special effects, and I didn't have any dialogue written, So, because there's no dialogue in that scene. I didn't want to burden having a... Because people are giving a lot of favors on early shorts. Sure. Now, like the feature we're doing now, everyone's getting paid, and a lot of those people are carryovers from the shorts that we've done. Um but a lot of people are giving favors like that. Uh, the the, shot, the crane shot at the end of call. Uh, some chance knew a guy who had a crane and like a legit crane, and like <laughs> he brought it and did all the work for free, operating the crane for that. You know, just that little shot. You know, retrospect, if we could have had a drone that made the footage look as nice as the red camera, we probably would have done that. But we had that crane and. I just didn't want to burden someone else giving their time for audio when we just really didn't need to worry about it. Well, uh, I... luckily I wasn't wrong that we could match it in post, and he you did. Know, that's I mean, that's the that's the curse of doing a low budget. and sometimes you're like, oh, we'll fix it in post. Right? And you hear that like three times in one day, you bet be believing that that movie's gonna have some trouble. I,
0: my poor wife. I've I've. You know, ruined her movie experiences for life because she can <laughs> she can hear a bad audio edit. You know, when it just hits the ear mm-hmm. wrong. And I didn't hear any of that in call. So that's that's remarkable that that was all fully well done. Uh, your next uh, your next short you mentioned it there racist cyst spelled like s y s t, which I thought was very clever. Uh, that was that was dark and. Your, the ending on it, I don't want to give away the ending on it because, of course, I'm hoping people that listen to this will watch uh, both of your shorts. Uh, but that that movie has a build. At first, it is very subtle. The message is subtle. And by the end, it is, I'll say, blowing up in your face. <laughs> <laughs> No pun intended. No pun intended. That uh, was, I mean, what yeah. made you take go down that route? I mean, you you take, you know, racism and you couple it with a physical manifestation, basically, of ra- uh, racism. How'd you get that
1: idea? In a hundred, I mean, I, I I can't lie. It came from the title, and then Googling, and then I'm debating that no one had really used that title, and being like, huh. Um it's a dumb, I mean, I wouldn't say it's clever, but, like, it gets the point across. And I had had that. I had had a couple outlines of feature scripts. I was like, well, what would I use with that? And I'm like, I really don't know. And then I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm going to make a short. And this is February of 2021 that we shot that. And so we're, people are just starting to get vaccinated. So I know we had to work with a very small crew. So I actually, was the DP on that myself, shot it with my iPhone 11, um, with help from Moon Dog Labs, which does equipment for smartphone shooting, like lenses and mm. anamorphic lens, um, and I held a a, a cage uh, that my phone sat in, so I did it all uh, handheld. I originally was going to use a gimbal. This is nerdy talk for anybody that's interested in. Nope, I'm loving it, of course. <laughs> smartphone filming, but I I then took that title and I was like, okay. I can't, tell, I can't figure out what the long story narrative would be. Is there a slice of life incident that I could kind of do the Second City methodology of, of sketch writing? And so drop them, drop the character in the middle of the most heightened part of kind of this experience or the story that you're telling. And I would be remiss to say that if it wasn't 100% inspired by David Cronenberg... And all of his work with body horror, especially like The Brood, uh, which I think is, is fantastic. Um, Being a middle-aged white man (laughs) and straight white man in northern Kentucky, probably not necessarily my place to do an expose of racism, but I did it. The story I wanted to tell was as much of my point of view from it, which is uh, everybody has internal racism and if you don't communicate or deal with it healthily, in a healthy way, it could manifest in a horrific way that you might not want it to, whether that be an, a physical or a personal altercation with someone or self-harm, um, or in this case, an actual manifestation of a cyst on the lead character, the lead white character's body. Yeah, it... Uh...
0: It is, it is a sight to behold. I did not, I even looking at the title, I didn't realize
1: it was going where it was going. So, uh, <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm glad because uh, my brother, uh, who who assisted, assisted, no pun intended, on <laughs> that short, um, he's like, man, you should get rid of the title at the beginning. He's like, this just gives it away. Oh, it and I no, was like, really didn't. But you I know, want people to know that this character is having this racism, and it's not just pointed at one particular race. It is just kind of that internal racism that anybody that says they don't experience some of what the lead character goes through in that short is lying. Because societally, we, we have knee-jerk racism. It's kind of like that Avenue Q song. Uh, everyone's a little bit racist.
0: I got to ask you, you mentioned Cronenberg. Are you, uh, you watching the latest season of Slasher? On...
1: I am not, but I did just watch Possessor. Oh. His son's film. Yeah.
0: It, uh, the, he, you know, he's, he stars in and is uh, clearly, oh, I mean. Oh, he's in
1: Flesher? Yeah. He's in it. Oh, I love on Cronenberg Act. I don't like Nightbreed, but I love Dr. Decker and the oh, look yes. his acting in that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, he plays, you know, he plays a real SOB in this, uh, but... It is probably the mo I mean I've I've kept up with you know the the series slasher over the years when I see a new season's coming out I get excited and I binge it. Uh this one's being released on Shudder week to week and it is uh it is body horror at its finest. It
1: is um, it, it is rough. That might swing me cuz I don't have Shudder and the only reason is between me and my dad our expansive horror movie library yeah. of physical media is never going to a lesson, because that's just one physical media I won't get rid of, Yeah, because I can't chance it that not enough streaming channels would have it or have it when I want it. In um, Shudder, I know there are good things like Slasher, like Creepshow, and Joe Bob Briggs, Last Drive-In, and now it's going to be El- the Elvira special. Yeah, I just... I can't make that extra charge in my life when I'm so busy and I have this library that I have access to.
0: Joe Bob really put me over over the fence there. I mean, initially I'd always wanted Shudder and I thought, Oh, you know, one of these days but like you, I've I've got a massive collection of horror. Uh I am very busy. It's like, you know, what am I ever gonna wanna see that I don't <laughs> already own or can't, you know, get pretty quick. But Joe Bob was the thing that tipped the scales for me. I mean, when he was doing the I uh, I just I, I don't remember exactly which episode it was that I heard he was he was doing or he had done and it was like, Well, that's it So I just I, I just, you know, went ahead bit and the bullet bit the bullet and did it, and I'm glad I did um so <laughs> you' a better man for it I am a better man for it i'm telling you i'm I'm happier <laughs> for it. I've found so many things that you know I didn't know existed just because of this, so it's it's been really nice um have you uh you you mentioned your collection are you still holding on to those v h s
1: you know and it's crazy my dad has uh, all of my old VHS and all of his old VHS in the basement of uh, my parents' house, and it looks like a video store. And seeing the resurgence yes. of people buying it like it's vinyl, yes, it, vinyl you can at least listen to. yeah. Like, look, I, I have a weird duality. I have a um, Josh Olsen who does uh, movies that made me with Joe Dante, he brought up. Uh, he's brought up a couple times that he wishes on Blu-rays that are super clean of movies that he had seen on TV or VHS versions of. He wishes there was an option that you could watch the movie looking like that. Yes. And I, I tend to agree in some cases, like Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Yes. I grew up on that VHS. And so that song replacement where it wasn't Dawkins into the fire yes. and the opening scene, that's what I grew up on. That's what I knew. So, like, now when I watch it and it's super cleaned up on the Blu-ray and the song Into the Fires playing, I'm like, man, you know what? I didn't see this in theaters, so I didn't. And most people saw it maybe once or twice in theaters. Their familiarity is the televised version or the VHS. And so, like, I, it always takes me, like, a, it knocks me off kilter just a little bit. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's not that weird, like, sack that, like, blah, 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 blah. it stockings into the fire. Yes. And so but unlike vinyl, who is watching the VHS tapes that is being like sold like hotcakes right now? Is it just for the box? Which I love box art. I I think there should be a museum of of video
0: VHS boxes. I can't talk for everybody, obviously. I do still have a VHS player. I just don't... uh, It is not hooked up. It just never got thrown away. I'm sure it still works. Why wouldn't it? But that is the problem with VHS. You don't know that they work, and they do degrade over time. But... I you know so yes I'm one of those people when I've been going through a store and I I look down and I see VHS on horror 10 years ago I'm rolling my eyes and now I'm snatching it <laughs> up like it's gold and I still haven't watched any it's of cheaper, them so it's
1: cheaper than buying a lot of those movie posters
0: and it takes up less space That's true but uh they're getting up there in prices that's what I what I've noticed in in collecting these trying to collect these horror VHS uh tapes is that you go to a store that has them, and you see, you know, you see Jurassic Park, and you see lots of Disney movies. What I think is, horror fans just held on to them. You so rarely see the horror ones that horror fans just didn't let go of their VHS. And I got to say, I I didn't either. I like you, held on to all of mine. I'm not trying to re re what I you know threw away. I'm just trying to you know buy things I never had.
1: Yeah, and I I think if I if I could venture a guess on why it is. Uh, so, such a hot commodity right now is, like myself, as I've lamented on many other podcasts, uh, that feeling of going to the video store. Yes. I mean, Bill Hader's talked about this: going to the expansive horror section in your mom and pop, where they would have all different size boxes of VHSs, and if it was a bigger box and it had really cool cover art, it probably was going to be much crappier of a film. <laughs> but, but like, I remember walking through and physically holding that physical media and looking at that box art and reading the back and memorizing the write up on the back and looking at the stars names and going, Oh, this is made Beastmasters directed by Don Coscarelli. Oh, this Phantasm one and two, they have really cool boxes. Also Don Coscarelli, so maybe I should pick this out. And so I think we're at that generation now, almost like vinyl buyers, who who just want to have that experience again. I think this is a lot of people in our, like, my age and, like, maybe five to ten years older, it's our midlife crisis of buying a sports car.
0: Yeah. It's a little cheaper, too, so that's good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's get to... Really, the point of this interview, you know, what, what I contacted you for, uh, you're working on a movie right now called All Your Friends Are Dead, which, by the way, I love the title. But when you, you. when you really grabbed me this morning was I came across a, a tweet for you for your fundraising for this. And I'm going to quote you here. You say, what if The Breakfast Club grew up to be the big chill and went camping in a Friday the 13th movie? Then you'd have All Your Friends Are Dead. Uh, that's... <laughs> that ticked a lot of boxes, and immediately, you know, g- grabbed my attention. So,
1: tell us a little bit course, about this. Yeah, I'm so happy that you are enough of us in the file to get all three of those references. <laughs> when we were first putting together the uh, the press release, that's what I had written for, you know, the the byline, the tagline at the top to so really hook people in. And I was telling uh, people, like, well, give me one line. How would you describe the movie? And I said, Breakfast Club meets uh, becomes Big Chill, Ghost Camping, Friday 13th movie. And they'd be like, okay, I understand Breakfast Club. I don't know what Big Chill is. And, I, yeah, I know what a Friday the 13th movie is. I'd be like, oh, really? I was like, okay. And, but I was sending that out. I was like, use oh, like, that too much of a semifile? Like, Even if you hadn't seen the Big Chill, I would have thought you'd know what it is. But maybe it's just too far removed. And then one of the first websites that picked us up, which is a British uh, horror website, did something that most don't, which I really appreciate. They didn't just run the press release. You know, a lot of websites and stuff, they'll just copy and paste sure. plaster it up there, uh, which is fine because that's all you all you want is just the the eyes on it. But what they did was they rewrote that byline and put it in the body of the the text. And their byline was what happens when the Teenage Slasher movie grows up?
0: And I was like, oh, that
1: is much more palpable. Like, everyone <laughs> understands that. Not that you should always pander or, like, you should never, like, punch down. You should always play that your audience is as intelligent or are smarter than you. But I was like, okay, that that's what uh, this really needs to be in the press release. But I am ultra glad that you, that reading that hooked you in because that's, that's what this movie is. It all started with it being a uh, semi autobiographical about myself where, uh, I played sports. I did chorus, um, and, uh, was a theater kid, but hadn't done a lot of theater because of the sports took up a majority of my time, played football, playing baseball, wrestling. And then I got hurt my junior year, last game of the football season. Um, I ripped everything in my knee in my left knee and, I had to get two surgeries was in a wheelchair for six months, and was told by the doctor uh, the surgeon if you if you don't want to ever uh, be handicapped in that leg he's like you can 't play sports anymore if you want if you want to keep being able to use that leg you can't do contact sports wow and so I made the decision because I was already inundated in entertainment and theatrics and having a love for it. like I said, I was in chorus since middle school. Um, I was like, okay, well now I have time to audition and see if I can do theater, if I can do comedy uh, and other stuff that I like. And I auditioned for West side story, purposely auditioned for the part that John Aston mentioned Adam family again uh, was in the movie. He's a comic relief in the high school dance scene. And got it, and from then on, I was in every play for the next year. And this movie, All Your Friends Are Dead, it's really characters' names Matt Wilby, which I also play. Um, not because I necessarily wanted to, just because we're super low budget. And to have a lead that you can rely on to film, you know, pick up the camera and go steal a shot or film this here or there. We were like, well, who would that be? And it's like, oh, I guess it's me. And since this is kind of about me, or a bizarro universe version of me, it'll be me. Um because of my injury in high school, I did gain a lot of weight that I haven't lost. Um and, you know, I have a beard and I'm my trajectory wasn't sports or whatever. You know, a lot of people they play sports in high school and they become king shit of turd Mountain for that finite <laughs> amount of time. Uh our story is well, what if I hadn't gotten hurt in high school? What if I got hurt in college and I had gotten a wrestling scholarship, which I probably wouldn't have gotten? Um, I would have had this eclectic group of friends that kind of represented like the breakfast club in high school that were, you know, one's a kid who was a nerd that kind of grows up to be a Jeff Bezos, one's the Claire, you know, Molly Ringwald, who, cheerleader, who grows up to be like a divorcee single mom with two kids, and then my character is basically Emilio Estevez, Andy, but who becomes a depressive alcoholic and never kind of gets traction in life. And that's where we pick up with All Your Friends Are Dead, is this lead character who takes way too many pain pills for his knee, drinks constantly, has lost touch with this strange group of friends, and just gets to the point after a series of days that keep on snowballing where he comes to the drastic decision that his best years are behind him and he's going to end his life. And before doing that, he writes an email to his friends, which are called the pack because the school mascot was a wolf and they are called the pack of wolves. So to his pseudo breakfast club, he lets them know. He's like, um, I have nothing to live for. I uh, wish we would have stayed in touch, but we didn't. My fault as much as yours. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to do it at the campgrounds where we last hung out all together the summer uh, after graduation. And he goes to the campground to, to kill himself, and unbeknownst to him, his friends have shown up. And they kind of give him an intervention, try to talk him into realizing that his life is worth living while that is going on little do they know a escaped mass killer is in the woods ready to pick them off all one by one making the lead character really have to confront does he want to die or does he want to live if he wants to live he's going to have to actually make an active decision to not get killed by this mass killer
0: what a solid pitch for a movie! I mean, there's uh, there's a lot there. I mean, it's I mean it's not just a slasher flick. It's not just a, a. I don't know what the end point of a coming of age film is. Is it just the age? It's an age film. <laughs> I, I don't know. But uh, I mean, there's a, there's a lot going on there. That's it, it's there's a lot of introspection and and I think that's you know looking at uh, you know I went over to your Kickstarter page and looked at you know, what you were asking for and kind of how you're explaining the movie and the clips from the movie. And, you know, I think that's apparent right from the start. Uh, how did you, I mean, obviously I know that your past got you here on this story. How did you think to then tie that? I mean, some people would think that and say, oh, well, that, that alone is a movie. And then, then you have them go to a campsite where now they're going to be picked off by a masked killer. I mean, how do you, make that connection say, you know what, we could take it one step further.
1: That actually came from, um, this is going to be travesty to say, uh, I did a, a podcast where we did a retrospective of all the Friday the 13th. So we watched all 12 within like a two-week period. And watching those movies one after the other, like I said, I'm an Elm Street fan. So I kind of got bored with the disposable characters. Yeah. And I also kind of noticed that the last 10 to 20 minutes of those movies are the things that people kind of remember the most of. Because they're the most action-packed, they have the most gruesome kills, and they really ramp up. And it leaves you with a good feeling. You're like, yeah, that was a good movie. And it's like, was it? Or was the last 15 to 20 minutes cool? That's my opinion, of course. Right. Um, Because if I had to pick a slasher movie out of the 80s, I would probably pick The Burning over some of the Friday the 13th, or I would definitely phenomenal. pick Sleepaway
0: Camp. Oh, Sleepaway Camp's phenomenal, too. It's the first thing we did for the podcast. Coming out of the gate, uh, Mike said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I feel like we ought to do Sleepaway Camp, not just because I'm watching it tonight anyway, but because <laughs> also I think it'd be a good movie and he had not seen it. I do love The Burning. I got the opportunity to see The Burning in uh, on the big screen in a theater here, uh, just uh, several weeks ago, there's a group here in town that uh, rents out a theater and they show old horror movies on the big screen, complete with trailers. It's a wonderful experience. And when I saw they were doing the burning, of course, I bought my ticket immediately. Uh, but I also am a I'm a Friday the Thirteenth fan. Uh, Halloween's what got me into horror, I think. Uh, you know, because again, I had a I had a stepmother who was just she was like, Yeah, I think you're old enough. I love this movie. And, you know, we just watched Halloween. <laughs> but I, and I wasn't allowed to watch uh, Friday the 13th. Somehow it was deemed uh, more violent or more gruesome or something in my household. And then I got to see a, I don't remember if it was, uh, I think it was on USA Up All Night. And it was a.
1: Oh, uh, with Rhonda Shear? Yeah, it was with Rhonda Shear.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, they were doing a Friday the 13th marathon because it was Friday the 13th. And, you know, it was on USA. What, you know, I didn't, there was no one to tell me not to watch it. And I was in my room mm-hmm. and it was, oh, it was eye opening. So I have a bit of nostalgia for the Friday the 13th movie, but you're right. Those characters are, they're, a lot of them are so one note. A lot of them, uh, you know, when you go to recap a kill or something, you're like, who was that one? What did he do? You know. What
1: blonde with ben. yeah is the one in oh there was all of them i'm sorry yeah exactly no
0: i i mean you're 100% right and so i'm interested to see uh, what you're doing here Now I know that you've filmed a lot of this and But uh, your tweet this morning Said there were 13 days left And by the time we get this out I think we will release this Monday or Tuesday And so there'll be Even fewer days left I won't do that math because I'm terrible at it And I'll embarrass myself um, But you're, you're still looking I mean you've reached your initial goal You'd like to, you know, of course every bit helps And makes it better What left do you have to do? What are you? What are you going to use this money
1: for? We actually, as as quick as I posted it, and I don't know if we posted two new perks as well, which was four associate producer perks, which get your name in the movie in the associate producer slot uh, and on IMDb with the associate producer credit. Um, We had four of those listed, and we had the other perk was get killed in the movie mid-credit sequence, which we, you know, logistically with that, if you're not local, you gotta pay your like. We can't afford to to pay someone to come and stuff. Sure. So they gotta kind of use it as a trip. Like, we'll we'll have fun when you're here. But like, you gotta pay your own way to get here, um, and pay for your own lodging and stuff. But if you want to get killed, cool. As soon as we put that up, both of them got nabbed <laughs> immediately. Of course, and uh, I couldn't be happier because the way that that kill is gonna work out. Interestingly enough, narratively, really works. Like, we didn't have a, a mid-credit sequence planned. We're like, we'll come up with something. Like, we'll figure out something. Um, and then when the... I don't want to spoil, because I will be posting later today. It's um, it's a horror podcast. Mm-hmm. And that nabbed those two kills. And we're like, oh, great. Narratively, we can do this thing in the middle of the credits that kind of works as a stinger, possible sequel um, not that we were even thinking of a sequel because the story is kind of contained in this movie but this could be really fun um, we we added those perks because yes our minimum goal which is up there now that is like okay we at least need this much for post-production uh, we have about four more days of principal photography to shoot but the movie is almost completely done we have one more big kill scene And then a lot of um, pickup shots. Uh, But, yeah, so one of the reasons why we wanted to film the majority of the movie before we even launched our Kickstarter was because so many people put crowdfunding things together and people get weary of contributing because it's like, oh, I've seen too many things that don't see the light of day. So I don't know if I want to contribute to this with ours. It is now funded for the minimum. We're getting closer to more of what we want, closer to eight thousand and the the perk that still has I think fifty eight left is the blu-ray, and that's a limited numbered blu-ray that will come out by october twenty twenty two It will have an exclusive commentary that will only exist on this blu-ray. If the movie were to get bought, purchased, distributed by someone else, that commentary won't be on any of those releases, and the main selling point. Uh, if you are legit interested in this movie, that is the only way you're going to be able to guarantee that you're going to see this movie by October, 2022, because this thing's going to be in festivals. We're going to try like I said, get it bought and distributed. Um, so who knows when it could get in front of people's eyes for the masses, you know?
0: Yeah. And that, that of course was going to lead into my next question was, you know, what's the plan once you get it done. What are you going to do with it?
1: Festivals. Uh, That's a thing, too, for the cost that I think, I don't know that if people think about it, um, just with my short film, the cost to submit them to festivals is very high, especially feature films. The longer your thing is, like a feature, the higher the cost is. And then there's horror movie conventions, which are bread and butter to submit to things like this project, because you're going to get that fan base who is just ready to see this kind of of movie. But it costs to submit to those. It's not a guarantee that they'll pick your film. And then if they do pick your film, a lot of those conventions will also make you pay to get in to see a screening of your own movie. Oh, wow. Pay the convention fee. So things just add up. And like Our movie, we started filming Budget Out of Pocket between me and Nick Hines, the co-director. Um, And so these are just funds that we need to ensure that the score, that the sound mixing, that everything once we're done and we put an edit together, we can put a bow on this thing and make it look and feel the best that it possibly can. And yeah, we're, we're hoping to take it on the road. We're talking to a couple um, entities right now about coming on as executive producers and what they would do to help it get in front of as many eyeballs as possible. Um, So the way I vision the movie, as much heart and soul that's in it, we put that last fifteen to twenty minutes of Friday the Thirteenth in the middle of the movie, and then it just ramps up from there. So that's why I was saying that earlier, like that last fifteen to twenty is the coolest, and then but it's at the end. We were like, okay, what if we did that? This camping thing, like we we introduce a lot of these characters, we introduce a lot of pathos. For their journey and who they are, and maybe you care when they do die. But we're going to put all of that about minute thirty-five forty, and then you're going to be watching it and you'll be like, all right, I know this movie's called All Your Friends Are Dead, but this is happening way too soon. Is this movie close to over? And you'll press pause and you'll be like, no, I still have another 45 minutes. Nice. And you're like, where is this going to go? And that's what I cannot wait to see with an audience. Is it doesn't make a bonkers turn where it's like, no, this don't make no sense. But where it does go, I think people are going to be like, oh, oh, shit. And we're getting more kills. It's just not that kind of uh, firecracker that happens at the end of Friday the 13th or any of those other movies. It happens in the middle, and then the fireworks show just keeps on building and building and building.
0: Your Kickstarter page uh has a lot of information I mean, as well as those perks and of course, at the end of the podcast uh, I'll record or uh you know a little out that tells everybody where they can find everything about you but it's uh you go to Kickstarter a lot and like kind of like you said, people crowdfund so early and you never see it you really are showcasing what you guys have done i mean there's there's clips from the movie there you know and then there's also you've put some pictures in you're working it looks like <laughs> with a really talented special effects team that has worked on you know movies like hillbilly elegy and haunt uh, and candy corn and you know that's that's all very exciting you know it's not your your buddy who you know was doing you know catch up and and stuff blood <laughs> you know when you were 15 you're like yeah you were great at that let's bring you on And, you know, it looks like a a very professional production and you really get a look at it. Another thing, and, you know, I may be wrong, of course, because I've not seen the movie. I I feel like you get a look at the killer's mask. I mean, I'm definitely Mm -hmm. seeing somebody here in a mask. And it's a question I have asked every filmmaker that I've ever interviewed about how on Earth do you pick and settle on a mask? I think it would be the most maddening thing. It would be, I would worry so hard that, you know, and second guess my choice. I, I can't imagine when John Carpenter said, yeah, absolutely. The captain Kirk mask is the way to go. Let's go with William Shatner and spray paint it. Uh, and,
1: and well, then did that... you know that he pre- him and Deborah Hill presented the crew with two different masks? Yes,
0: yes. Oh, yes. I've I noticed. One the story. was the
1: clown mask, which, was, again, narratively would have made more sense. Absolutely. Michael, as a kid, was yep. dressed up as a clown. Why not have him wear a rubber clown mask when he's an adult?
0: Yeah, it makes absolutely perfect. And so that's the thing. I mean, until my movie was a, you know, smash success like Halloween, I would be second guessing that. Should we have done a clown? Should we have done a clown? And then you mm-hmm. see, you know, you look at, you know, newer movies. I mean, the the hockey mask since three has been so iconic. Even Sackhead Jason is iconic in its own way. And and you look at, you know, when somebody takes on mm-hmm. that challenge of I'm going to have a mask killer how do you go about selecting the mask? So, how did you do it?
1: This is a me poo-pooing on Friday the Thirteenth again. Even though <laughs> uh, I feel there, I love Victor Miller and I love Victor Miller's original script. And he'll be the first to say that it was his reverse psycho, um, and that it's it's a movie that's a whodunit, but you can't guess who the killer is at the end. So it's kind of a cheat, yeah. Because Mrs. Voorhees is never mentioned, correct? And that atrocity is never mentioned. Uh, but in Two Baghead Jason, who I love. Uh, if anybody wants to listen, not that I'm, you know, giving shout outs to other podcasts, listen to those podcasts, but then check out Force Five that I was on and we did uh, Top Masks. Okay. And I give a much longer, longer winded explanation than I'm gonna give now. But I went through the history of Baghead masks and horror movies. Man, the Friday thirteenth series, especially those early ones, they ripped off everything they could. Yeah. Up to Baba's Bay of Blood. To so a lot of those kills that happened in one, two, and three, down to Baghead Jason Mask, which is the town that dreaded sundown.
0: That's true. That is and true. A
1: couple, and a couple of others that actually came before that. Um, but when it comes to masks, my favorite mask, and it's a weird pick, it's excluding the big masks, like excluding the hockey mask, the leather face, uh, your Michael Myers, or your screen ghost face, you got to push those out of the way because those our next level. Sure. Like those did it. Um, but I pick, and it's not, I don't pick it for the hipster reason, but um, Blood on Black Lace, or Blood and Black Lace, Mario Bava, where it's, he kind of, it looks like, the character looks like Rorschach, but except in a black fedora, black trench coat, black gloves, because it's yellow, and a peach colored faceless, kind of like stocking over his face. But it's not stocking. You can't see anything underneath it. You can just see the protrusions of a nose and a chin. Um, that's my favorite. But how we came across it, or how I came across it, was the killer uh, that you see in the pictures wearing the mask is an escaped mental patient from a nearby hospital. And he's wearing the scrubs of one of the nurses that he killed on his way out. Mm-hmm. And he's wearing the mask that is very archaic. It's actually a sensory deprivation mask that was used many moons ago. Definitely not approved now. And Shit. it's kind of like a straight jacket for your face. It looks like uh, that dinosaur in Jurassic Park where it spits the acid. Yes. But what it actually is, is if you fold that over, it zips up and is white over that brown wow. leather. And then there's straps that come around and deprive you from being able to see, speak, or hear. Wow! So this is so and this was a real mask that, that was used. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But again, it's very archaic. Wow! I... And what it's used for now is bondage and King play. Ah,
0: okay, and horror movies. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, it's.
0: It, I said, and also horror movies, bondage, and and yes. of course <laughs> horror movie killers uh, now becoming more popular with them. It looks like just since this morning uh, you've you've funded more than $1000 since this morning. Uh when I looked it looked like you were at uh, a little over 5000 which was the goal. Uh now it looks like you're, you you've got more than 6000. So people are responding to this which I I mean I don't I don't have any hard time. There's no hard time here imagining why because it's not just a group of teenagers go out in the woods and they start getting picked off. You know, to me that's already appealing, but I do I want to fund that no, because I've seen it, and I know it's going to get made again. But this, the, what you're doing, I think, is, is such a smart concept. I think people are responding to that. I hope they continue to do it, because I'm excited about this project, and now you've got me worried I won't be able to see it unless I
1: buy a Blu-ray. Hey, it's, it's a good pitch. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so like, look, you got to understand, too, anybody listening or even you yourself, I am a, I am a fan, right? So I love those steel books. I love those expansive. Even so, my first like nerdy, uh, overblown special features movie was the original Nightmare on the Street when they released it as a rare two tape, uh, edition. Sure. Where the second tape had all the del- like you couldn't scroll through because it, it was VHS, so you had to either fast forward or just watch through it. Which in my house you didn't fast forward because that ruined. You couldn't watch and fast forward because that would stretch the tape. Right, uh, It would ruin the image. And that had the deleted scene of, and just like a time code at the bottom, wasn't made to look nice, yep. the deleted scene of Marge Thompson telling Nancy that's an extended part of her in the boiler room where she drops all the exposition of Freddie and she says, uh, even you had a sibling that Fred Krueger killed. And so, like, that's that's omitted from the movie. And so, like, I got off on knowing that stuff, seeing they tried Johnny Depp actually coming out of the bed after the geyser blood happened. Yeah. He looked ridiculous. He looked like he was stained in Kool-Aid. Yeah. So they cut that. Um, so, like, at a very young age, I'm talking, like, seven years old, eight years old, I had that. So I know what it's like to love the genre and love the property and kind of sometimes see how the sausage gets made and get that extra just that extra bit of something that you're already enjoying because people who tend to like horror also really like the behind the scenes and the machinations and the thoughts that go into it. And so if you get that Blu-ray, I guarantee you the commentary is going to be worth it. Uh, There might be more than one commentary actually. Uh, There's going to be a bunch of behind the scenes. The special features are going to be worth it. And when you get the Blu-ray, you get your name in the credits. So I mean, it's all, I think, worth it too.
0: I'm telling you, I mean, just after this interview, I, I, mean, I can't not, I can't chance not getting to see the film. I can't, I have to have that guarantee. <laughs> so
1: I do. Well, now the question is going to be, Is do you put the podcast name in the credits oh, or do you put your name? That's good. That's good. This project being successful, and I'm not even saying like stratosphere success, I'm saying successful enough our primary goal is to entertain successful enough that it allows us to make another film a little easier, make it look a little better, a little easier on us to continue to entertain in the horror genre, because this isn't the last thing that I have to say in the horror genre. This is, if someone would ask me if you want to make a Friday the 13th movie, if you want to make a camp slasher movie, what would you do? I'd say, well, like you said, I've I've seen the teenagers. Let me see the middle-aged people who have different fears. Let me see what it's like with them in the movie. This is the one I would make. And so if this does well enough to afford us to make another, another movie, I, I, I want people to support indie horror. So then me personally, selfishly, can then continue to go okay here's my knowledge of horror here's what i want to do with a movie about succubus you know what do i want to do with you know i'm not going to say that every movie is going to be my take on like zombies or vampires or whatever but i've got more to say in the horror genre and i i think uh i think indie films should be supported as much as possible especially indie horror
0: So just a fantastic guy and a fantastic conversation. Ricky Glore, uh, genuinely funny, genuinely nice. And how about a horror geek? I mean, that guy knew his horror. And that makes you feel good. When a guy like that is at the helm of something you're about to watch, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel confident that it's going to have those aspects that you love to see in horror. Uh, Like I said, supporting indie horror is something here at Slasher... I hardly know her that we love to do. You just, like Ricky said it best. You just can't do it enough because, I mean, how often do you have that, that conversation with a horror movie fan who, who doesn't like what Hollywood, Hollywood is doing with horror? Well, that's why I love fan films so much. That's why I love indie horror because uh, these are fans of the genre going out there and making the thing that they're fans of. That that excites me, and I you can't support them enough. So uh, I think the Blu-ray uh, we did go support it. I think it said it's uh, delivering next October, October 2022. So we do have a ways to go before we actually lay eyes on this. But I am a sucker for a commentary track, and I love to support indie horror. As I said, so we snatched it right up uh, for the show because very proud to support these guys. Uh, it looks like looks like this is a, a very cool concept for a movie. That I can get my head around and will really enjoy, you know, popping in the Blu-ray player and just sitting back and enjoying it, and then enjoying the com- the commentary, because I do uh, love to see how the sausage is made on these films. So, if you, if you would, I think uh, when this podcast comes out, it will be uh, Tuesday. The 21st, I think there'll be about nine more days that you can uh, support these guys over on Kickstarter, and I'm going to drop a link to their Kickstarter page uh, in the show description here, so uh, when when you get done listening to this, please just roll over, hit that, and go support them. You don't have to buy the DVD, you can support them at any level. And there are some really cool perks in there. Unfortunately, the perk to actually be killed in the movie, I think they offered two of those. And as you heard, Ricky said that, boy, they were just snatched right up. And I think I I probably would have snatched that one up had I had the opportunity, but very happy to uh, support these guys in any way I can. I hope you will do the same. A very special thank you to Ricky Glore. Uh, We did talk about maybe having him come on the podcast at some point in the future, I really do look forward to that opportunity. I I think that would just be a blast. So uh, please look in the link, go support them. Thank you for listening. And we got a whole new episode coming out in one week from today where we are looking at The Blob, 1988's The Blob. See you guys. (laughs)